What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 34 of The Joe Ciccarelli Show. Today's episode is a conversation, another conversation with uh, a good friend of mine, Shelby Koch. Shelby was introduced to me by Jeff Gherkin. For any of you that are uh, listened to the episode last week, Jeff was my uh, my guest last week. And um, Shelby's another business owner in the transportation space. Many, as many of you know, that's what I do. Uh, that's a business that I work in outside of all, all, all the other stuff we talk about on here. That's sort of my day job. So I've gotten to know him in that um, in, in that sense. And uh, obviously a successful guy. And we'll, we talk a lot about that. But what's really interesting about Shelby outside of that, he's actually a national champion, uh, a national champion in uh, water skiing. So uh, I didn't know anything about water skiing at all. I mean, outside of what it was, a couple episodes back, I interviewed a college friend of mine, Eric Lux, about race car driving. And um, part of that was to talk to him about, you know, all the success he's had. And that's part of the conversation today with Shelby. But it's also just to kind of learn. Uh, I, I talked to a lot of people about this podcast. And it's like, look, you know, listening, the listeners and the notoriety and all that other stuff will come at some point. Uh, but I care a lot less about that and a lot more about just learning new stuff. So the ability to come on here and connect with these people and have these conversations is just a great format to learn, whether that's about business, self-development, or something different. Uh, in this case, uh, we, we kind of dive into water skiing a little bit. So to me, to walk out of this conversation, I'm certainly not a pro, but I know enough to, what do they say, enough to be dangerous about water skiing. And so that that's kind of why I recorded these, because I offer that to you folks too. So for people that are like me, that are interested in just learning about different things and uh, and self outside of just, you know, how to be better in life and in business and all that stuff, which is obviously a big part of what I do. Um, conversations like this are really cool because they bring sort of a different thing. And I've tried to focus on my conversations this season. Let's talk about business. Let's talk about self-development. Let's talk about how to be the best version of yourself. But let's also talk about something else that's, uh, whether it's football or military or, um, race car driving or today water skiing. So there's a little bit of that, uh, a lot of that mixed in here today as well. Uh, what I like a lot about Shelby, uh, and we've gotten to know each other on a variety of different formats that we talk about, but what I really like about Shelby is very, very process-driven. So since day one, if you go back to episode number one of my podcast, it's, you know, okay, great, you're successful. What does that mean? What does that look like? And how do we break that down in a way that's easy for others to replicate? Because for me, that's where I've always struggled. Um, I want to be successful. And at some point, you got to look in the mirror and say, you are successful. And I certainly am, but um, in a lot of different ways. But um, getting to that point and getting and continuing to evolve and get to the next level, it's helpful to kind of have a play-by-play versus just a, hey, I did it. Yeah, it's cool. Work hard. Uh, and Shelby's great for that. And we talk a lot about that. We go into a lot of the details. He's great at diving into the weeds and really, really wants to help people, wants to bring value to people. He talks a lot about that. Uh, if you're someone who listens to this and you're like, hey, this guy's great. I, I'd just like to talk to him more and pick his brain. I, I can assure you that I'm sure he'd be happy for a conversation. Uh, he's an action-oriented guy. I was talking to him about my coaching business. Um, we recorded this, God, a month or so ago, but I was talking to him about my coaching business a week or two ago. Boom, the next day in the mail, I get a book <laughs> labeled Do the Work. And uh, so in that sense, he's been a great a great friend and a mentor in terms of pushing me towards kind of taking this to the next level as well. So uh, with no further ado, I'm going to let this conversation roll. I hope you guys enjoy it, and I look forward to your feedback. How you doing? I'm good. Technology is amazing. Um, I tell you, I'm humbled and honored to uh, talking with you in this format because this is new to me. But 
and, and that's why I say it that way. But I think that ultimately is I always want to bring value to people and bring value to you and your listeners. So that, cool, that coming right out and say, that's my goal. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good goal to have. I'm excited to have you, man. I know we've we, we we've chatted in a lot of formats, and um, I guess where where I want to tip off today is I read an article um, about you and when you were skiing, uh, water skiing, which uh, which I want to talk about, and you were um, in the Louisiana bayous uh, skiing through skiing around and through alligators. Is that a true story? That is actually a true story. Um, <laughs> that is true. And, and the rest of the story was I grew up skiing on bayous and ponds and rivers with my dad and my family and my friends growing up 14, 15, 16, 17. And then after high school, it was one of those interesting summers where fixing to go to LSU, have a part-time job at the fruit stand, have access to a bass boat, me and my buddies towing, towing the boat to the bayou on a, at like 1 o'clock on a Tuesday you know, it's that summer between high school and college. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, we towed several weeks on end and we would go out to these bayous and there would be legit one time, I think we counted upper 20s to 30 gators. Really? How big were they? Um, four footers, six footers, or a few eight. Holy shit. So you're literally on the, so like, that's like actually my worst nightmare now, now that I think about it is, um, I do some, like, not a lot now, but certainly done some stand-up paddleboarding, done some kayaking. Mm. And the fear I have is being on a stand-up paddleboarding and looking down and seeing, like, a shark or something under me. Or probably even worse, an alligator. Um, and so, you, which is basically what you were doing. So, if you let go of the back, you know, the, the handle that connected to the back of the boat and you fell over, you're just stuck, surrounded by eight-foot alligators. And you were okay with that. I mean, surrounded is kind of a strong word. It was, <laughs> realistically when that boat goes in the middle of the bayou the river those gators are sunning themselves they usually either stay put they're keeping an eye on you or if they're in the water they go underwater so when that propeller and that motor goes by and then the other side is your buddies typically depends who's driving will spin the boat around back pretty quick and come and get you i mean come and get you you know, you're not going to be sure there might be that guy or that one time you keep going with the boat around the bend and the boat (laughs) but you know typically you bring it back around yeah. Yeah. Did you ever had any, like, um, I, I guess what's the weirdest thing that ever happened to you, um, when you were skiing? Um, when I was actually skiing, this is a related story. I had a, uh, Mastercraft ski boat at the time and we came around a bend and there was a man and a woman per se. And they were probably, I mean, I was, I was in my early twenties. We came around this bend and they were sitting on their shore with their head in their hands and there's nobody around and there's no boat launchers, no access. And this is the middle of the bayou. And they're just sitting there with their ha- hands on their heads and they're bewildered. And I'm like, and the, myself and a couple of people are like, something's not right. It was just one of those spidey. They were just sitting on the side of the, like on the bank, on the bank. You got it. They were sitting on the bank almost under this tree. And so we s- stopped the boat and came over there. Well, then we looked and there's like some blood. I think she had blood on her elbows. He had blood on his head. And then I start looking and there was a jet ski upside down, smashed up against a tree up in the mud, like 15, 20 feet away. Holy shit. It was enough where I was like, okay, stuff just got real. And so, uh, you know, we just kind of called me, went over there and was like, hey, are you guys okay? And they're like, yes, we're, we're, we're okay. And they were, stu- they were stunned. They were basically stunned. And I don't know exactly what happened. Jet ski tree bank. I don't know, <laughs> but we could do some uh, deductive reasoning. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there was blood, so we 
we, I mean, it wasn't enough blood. They weren't gushing blood. It wasn't propeller or anything like that, but we put them in the boat and we took them back to the boat launch and, um, you know, being water skiers, we put them back at the boat launch and we went back and went back to water skiing. Wow. Jeez. That's, that's quite a, a, a weird thing. And so you went from that to being a, a national champion in, in that. That that's the old that's the old adage of the uh, you know the o- overnight success kind of story. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that was two thousand. That would that'd be like call it two thousand four, two thousand five. And so when I lived in Louisiana and I started got into tournament water skiing and and wasn't I wasn't uh, I was competing, but I wasn't competing at the national level. I was competing at the regional level. And then I just put my time in year after year and just kept saying I'm cl- I'm climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder. And I tell you, similar to business was there were skiers. I would always try to gravitate towards those skiers who we call it run more buoys than we do. They're a better skier. And I would gravitate. What do you do? How do you do it? Where have you been? And they would be high up on the rung. And I would say, hey, they've been where I've been. And the flip side was those guys were always very giving to me. I would say, how did you handle failure? How did you handle success? And they would tell their story relentlessly they would give as long as you're willing to receive and act on it mm. uh, and so that was 0405 and i started picking up a head of steam and then started being eligible to go to national tournaments and then um i i didn't podium at nationals but i've got a couple funny stories about that if you want to hear that yeah man let's roll so 2000 uh 2010 um, my first, I tied for fifth place. So what happens is the national tournament, it's a one-time shot. Okay. It's marked on the calendar. It's usually the first week of August. And it's so it's month. one tournament just so for So like in general, is there like leading tournaments that lead up to it? Like, yeah, like a playoff thing, or is it just, you qualify based on a time that you did and now you're into the national tournament and that's, that's it. So what ha- close, so what happens, here's how it works. And, and this will make perfect is think about every weekend in the summertime, there is a local tournament going mm-hmm. on, whether mm-hmm. it's in Orlando or Jacksonville or Atlanta or Texas, it doesn't matter. There are local tournaments around the entire country. And so those tournaments feed in and you're posting scores and you get a ranking and a qualification. So you get ranked, you go on the internet, type in your password, you log in, you see your ranking, say, oh, I'm ranked 37th out of 250. And so every really? time you have a tournament on the weekend, your scores go into this, Digital How do you get scores? And it's sorry for cutting you off. I, I just want to make sure that I, I understand because I think this is going to be one, it's going to be interesting to a lot of people and two, a lot of people don't know shit about this. So when you say you get scores, is there judges that sit there and you go and like similar to other, like, like a surfing competition or something like judges judge your performance or is it like time-based? So it's actually a little bit of a hybrid. So what happens is the rope, there's six buoys, there's three buoys. Mm-hmm. Right, and three bows on the left, and this is competitive slalom skiing. Okay? Slalom skiing, okay, cool. Slalom skiing, right. There's tricking, and that's a little bit of subjective, but slalom skiing is the rope has a certain length to it, and the boat goes a fixed speed, and you, as a slalom skier, have to go around all six buoys uh-huh. without falling down or without not missing a buoy. If you go inside of it, there are judges and they're sitting up in a tower and there's a judge in a boat and the judges call in the score and they say six buoys. And then you get to the end of the lake and you keep you, your, your turn keeps going, meaning they pull the rope in and make it shorter. So it then becomes harder. So the buoys didn't move in anymore. Okay. Geometry, the boat didn't go any slower, but they keep pulling the rope in, making the rope shorter 
and shorter and shorter and shorter. Really? So then what's a good, what's the score? Like what would be an actual score? Like, is it 80 or like five minutes, seven seconds till you fell down or? Sure. So the way to think about it would be, um, there's two, two ways to call the score. So an example would be a typical, so myself and where I'm at right now is I might go, I might get four runs in and I might miss a buoy on the fifth run. And so that would be called like 105 buoys. So, and it sounds kind of misleading, but basically, or think of it another way is the rope is 37, 30, sorry, the buoys are 37 feet from the center line. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is where you got to kind of see it a little bit. And it's a little hard to describe, especially in this format. But anyway, the buoys are 37 feet away from the boat. And you start with a rope that could be 60 feet long. And then you complete that pass and you pull in eight feet of rope. Okay. So now the rope is only 52 feet and the buoys are 37 feet, but we're not talking about the boats already going 34 miles an hour right down the middle of the lake. And so you have to accelerate on the boat using your body and your ski and and catch up to the boat. Okay. So I, so you, you can see the real, athletic part of this right because assuming the boats go in the same speed the buoys are the same thing but you got less slack you got to cut quick getting back and forth and get real tight around okay 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 so that makes a lot of sense and now you have regional tournaments you get scores you get ranked and the higher you ranked you are you can qualify to go to an annual national tournament um, exactly okay and- so that takes us oh, Go ahead. Go ahead. So the though this will make more sense. So just like it's a little bit like a, a, some other sports where a, a local tournament. So an example is in like four weeks we have our first tournament and you get three tries, meaning it's three rounds. So first round, everybody gets a, their own their round, their shot. They go, they run, they run six boobies. They might miss the next pass. Their turn is done. And now here's a funny story on tournament skiing. And I thought that I thought the guys were BSing me because I never skied a tournament. Well, the catch is in practice, if you fall, meaning let go of the rope or you whatever, you make a mistake, the boat comes back around and picks you up. Okay. And so you go, the boat picks you up as in they give you the handle again and you ski to the end of the lake. Well, in a tournament skiing, I just learned to run buoys and I'm going around buoys and, and I'm so I'm gonna ski a tournament. And I'm at this lake in Louisiana, and they're like, Yeah, the boat's gonna come back and get you. They're like, no. I was like, what? And they go, yeah, if you fall at the far end of the lake and, and you your turn is over and you got, and I'm like, and then what? They're like, oh, you got to swim to the shore and walk all the way back this 2,000 foot lake. I was like, you're, you're BSing me. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, no, I'm serious. And sure as, sure as heck. I mean, if you fall at the far end of the lake, your turn is over and you do a somewhat of a walk of shame and you walk. It's a walk of shame. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, it's the walk of shame. And you walk back past the grandstands, past your other competitors and your mom, probably. Who? Uh, wow. So the rest of the story is their local tournaments have three round tournaments, meaning you get a shot. Okay. Three hours later, your turn comes back up. Okay. So you kind of have redemption or you try to perform at a high level. You get three shots at it. Mm-hmm. Well, on a regional tournament, again, now we're talking six, eight, 10 states. You only get one shot. You show up, you pay $350 a plane ticket, rental car, hotel, and you show up and you pay a $115 entry fee 
and it takes 16.95 seconds, 16.95 seconds to go from the beginning of the lake to the end of the lake. And if you fall, that's, that's it. it. Do people get sponsored for this sort of stuff? Like in, 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 you know, whatever advertising so and all that stuff. This is all amateur side of things. Mm-hmm. Amateur side. No. Okay. There is a whole nother world of professional water skiing and some of the professional water skiers are phenomenal athletes. And I mean, but the sponsorship money at that side is minuscule compared to professional sports on another side. There are some of those top tier professional athletes, world record holders that do have sponsorship, boat companies, rope companies, life jackets companies. So what's fascinating about that question is to go back to my example is as I didn't realize what water skiing brought me is it, it brought out my competitive nature and allowed me to hone my craft as a competitor. So go back to the regionals example. Again, $350 plane ticket. You do the math. It's $700 plus the entry. It's a hundred dollars. So it's $800 for one ski ride. 16 seconds, 16 seconds. You sit at the end. If you make it, you get you another 16 seconds. If you get, if you make it, you get another 16 seconds. Well, you're trying to outski your nearest competitors, the people and the person who's seated before you and the seated after you, you're trying to beat your seed. So if you're the seventh seed, you're trying to beat that guy who's the number six seed or the number five seed. Just to kind of stay alive. Not trying exactly. You're not trying to win the whole thing because that because you're it shows that your skill set is not eligible to win the whole thing at that stage. But that's where the competitive nature comes in. And that's why that's why I look hard at myself all the time about why am I doing this, especially in water skiing, because I don't, a lot of skiers at a certain point don't even look at the math of the dollars because we're like, okay, on paper, mathematically, it's insane. Okay. You're gonna spend $800 to go get pulled by a boat up and down the lake three times. And if you fall over, you're done. Hmm. That makes no sense. But then when you flip it around the other way and said, I'm going to push myself in the gym, I'm going to push myself at the lake. I'm going to get on that plane. I'm going to be mentally tough. I'm going to read all the sports psychology stuff. I'm going to be friends with my competitors and push each other. It's a whole nother mindset. Yeah. So you ended up cleaning up at a national tournament, right? In 2019? Or, I mean, I know you're, I think you were kind of at 2010 or 2013 telling your story, but. Sure. So 2010, and then I'll get, I'll jump to 2019 pretty quick, but 2010 was first nationals. So at nationals is a bigger tournament instead of five states instead of it's all the regions come together for one national tournament. Same thing. One shot show up. So an example is 20, 2019, there were 250 skiers in our division, but about 50 were eligible for nationals. Mm-hmm. Okay. Meaning across the entire country, there are 250 skiers in the men's three division, which is yeah. 35 year olds to 44 year olds, a bracket 250 were skiers with scores, 50 were eligible, 37 showed up. Okay. So there are 37 skiers seated with number one seed all the way to 37. All right. Well, at nationals, they take the top five, top five are on the podium and podium is a big deal because that means, Hey, you competed at the highest level that day against your best competition. So 2010 was the first First time I tied for fifth. Okay. So I had a shot at the podium. And it was so yes, big- you got on the podium. Well, you had a yeah. shot. Well, you would have got on it. Oh, because you tied? You, did you have to do a tiebreaker? <laughs> so I tied and I'd flown up there by myself and my now wife, who's a skier. She had driven over from Ohio and her family was coming over the next day. So I tied for fifth. And as you're as you tie, you're standing there still soaking wet and you see guys skiing and you see them tie you, you immediately know there's a tie, there's a runoff. 
you immediately know. And you're still soaking wet, still gloves on. And you're like, yeah, there's gonna be a runoff. And so your nerves, your butterflies, your, your you know, your, your engine kind of turns on again. And it was a guy I competed against from, um, from Texas, great guy, one of my fellow competitors. And so I went first in a runoff and I'd never been on the podium at nationals. This was it. So I went out and ran a pass down and fell halfway down. I got like two and a half buoys on the next pass back. So I went six buoys, sit in the water, came back two and a half buoys and fell. Maybe it was three and a half, doesn't matter. So a bunch of guys are like, good skiing, man. You, you'll probably get this. You'll probably get your first podium, you know, big deal. So then I look over and see my competitor and I look over and there's his fiance, his mom, his dad, his grandparents, the whole crew around him before he skis. And there I am just standing there by myself. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Competition. So he, he goes out and I'm like, Hey, you got to, you got to line up and play the game. He goes out and he runs the first pass. And then a couple of my ski partners walked up and they're like, how do you think it's going to play out? I was like, he wins. And they're like, what? I was like, he's a scrapper. He's a tough skier. I put a score out there. It's not enough. He's going to fight. He's a competitor. He's going to fight and beat me. And they're like, and I was like, and I'm good with that. You know, I put it all out there. I'm good with that. And he, Turned the first buoy, got to the second buoy, and, and he was in trouble. And my buddy's like, damn, you're right. Fought for the third buoy, fought for the fourth buoy, and stood up and skied away and won. Wow. Tough loss. And his whole family went crazy. The whole family, because it was his first podium at Nationals. Yeah. Wow. And I was okay. You know, it was back to that. I lined up. I played the game. Okay, sure, I could have trained a little better before that. Sure, I could have pushed myself a little harder. But you know what? I wanted to play the game. You know, my, I held my head high. I was like, hey, that's great. I was, ha- I was genuinely happy for him. I put my score out there. He beat it straight up. Fair enough. Yeah. So that so was 2010? 2010. 2010. Fast forward to 2019. Had some, had some bumps and bruises from 2011 to 2014. Broken ankle, surgery, dislocation. Um, took two years off building Coke Consulting. Came back 2019 push myself as hard as I could showed up at nationals, uh, 37 skiers. I was the fifth seed. Okay. So meaning I was the fifth to go at the end. I had the fifth highest score ranked score based on all the tournaments that year going into it. Right. Yeah. Going into it. So the, the, one of the kind of the money pass is called 38 off. It's the number 38 off. You Google 38 off water skiing. Okay. It's, it starts to be, starts to be the separator pass. So the seventh place guy through the first place guy all had scores running this 38 off pass. All right. Wait, what does that mean? 38 off? So what this means is, so go back to my 37 foot, uh, 37 feet from the boat, sorry, from the boat to the buoy, the boat and buoys 37 feet, Mm -hmm. 38 off rope off of 75. Okay. So let me break it down a different way. What it means is the rope is a half a foot short outside the buoy and that's at a dead standstill. So the rope is about 36 and a half feet long and the buoy is at 37 feet wide. Okay. Okay. And that's when the boat is standing still. And we also got to remember the boat's going 34.2 miles an hour down the middle of the lake and the skier has to accelerate and catch up with the catch up with the boat and go around the buoy. That's hard, man. Yeah. Jeez. 
So anyway, 38 off. You're right. 38 fifth. off. Seven skiers, top seven, all had some scores in 38 off. We were all separated by, I mean, a legitimate point. 0.1, percentiles scores. We were all in the mix, basically. And I had a score in my mind. I trained hard. I was mentally tough that morning. I was focused. Um, I had two scores in my mind I wanted to run, which was running 38 off and running two at 39 or three at 39, which is the next harder pass. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two means go around just two buoys. If I can go around two buoys, I'm in the mix. I'm on the podium. Um, three was Three was about my cap at the time and has been a cap. And so I was like, if I can run two and if I can run between two and three, that's my score. And so I wasn't thinking about anybody else. Again, I was kind of back to competing against myself, but I was competing against those guys. Sure. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So the number seven seed goes out, doesn't run 38. And I was like, don't care. My goal is to run two or three at 39. Number six seed goes out and I'm nervous. I mean, I'm on the dock. I, I was like, I put it, I prepared as much as I can. I get them all, but I was still anxious. And Number six seed doesn't run 38. I said, don't care. My goal is to run two at 38. I'm sorry, two at 39 or three at 39, the next harder pass. So I get in the water and I run the first pass and I get to the end and I say to the boat driver who you, you, you get to know everybody in water skiing. Sure. And he goes, I was like, I'm nervous. And that's just, and I've found for me personally, my personality is if I vocalize something like that, it helps me put it out there and almost get out of my system. Mm. Like nervous. Yeah, and it, yeah. even even if somebody doesn't even recognize it or they say anything back, it's okay because I almost feel like sometimes I just let it go. Just kind of came front and center, and then it its power gets minimized, right? Exactly. And the boat driver looks at me and goes, "Dude, the water's more nervous than you are." And it sounds crazy, but I skied at this. I skied. This was at Okiyu Ski Park, and I knew exactly. As soon as he said that, I go. Oh shoot! I know exactly what he's talking about. I know where the water's going to be kind of busy, almost like you can see these little waves and ripples in it, and it's abnormal. And I go, "Huh." So I ran the next pass back, then I ran a third pass, and then now we're at thirty-eight off. Nobody had completed thirty-eight off of the day, and I said, "My goal is to run thirty-eight off and get two at thirty-nine, meaning let's put it out there." So I ran thirty-eight, and I remember there was a split second, a moment of like being in the—I was in the zone. And I came around the third buoy and I remember saying to myself, don't wimp out, don't blow this, stay with this, you can do this. And I turned and I got against the boat and I went around the fourth buoy and I said, just keep fighting. And I just said, just keep fighting, just stay with it, don't doubt yourself. Turn five ball, six ball, out the exit gates. My wife was cheering and my bunch of ski partners are yelling. So I was the first one to run 38 for the day. So. Guaranteed spot on the podium, no matter what. And that's what I was like, hell yeah, I got on And that the was your first, that was the first podium, right? That was the first podium, 100%. And so we're at the fifth seed. I put the score out there. Oh, so come back at 39, went around the first buoy, got around the second buoy, and I said, I'm not in good enough shape. Don't botch this. Don't fall down right here. I don't need the three. I got my two. I had two, you know, two targets in sight. Two or three at 39, and I put the two up. Wow. And so that was enough to get you first place. First place. Wow. So then what? So then we go back to the dock. The four seed goes out. He's, hey, he's got scores. He can run it. I know him. He's actually one of my ski partners. He misses it. And I'm like, shoot, I got fourth place or better. 
Third place goes out, misses 38. Third place or better. Holy, holy smokes. I was like, I got third or better. And now, now I'm kind of beside myself, but I'm still got my gloves on. I'm soaking wet. I'm just standing there because I'm like, there'll probably be a runoff. Second place goes out, misses 38. And a couple of people came up to me and I go, dude, you're probably going to win this whole thing. I was like, me? That was my response. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like you fucking sure you're talking to me? Yeah. I was like, and I kind of, and I, and I kind of pinched myself. And in the same token, I was like, I grew up in a Southern Baptist household of humility and just work hard and just do the right things. And I was like, shoot, I got a shot. I win this whole thing. And and it was, I, it was a little bit of, I was like, okay. Then the last guy goes out, just a dog fight through 38. I mean, he dog fight, like, he turned and the crowd, ooh, ah, one of those. Wow. He puts a 38 in the books. And so, again, I'm standing there. Gloves are still on. I'm still soaking wet. And I'm like, he's got a shot. He And I said, I actually turned two guys. I said, he's either going to explode. I said, we will not tie. They're like, what? I said, I, I said, I just met this guy, great guy. I was like, he will go for it or he will kind of the die trying scenario. I was like, he will go for it. He will not tie me. And sure as heck, he went for it and kind of exploded. And then I was stunned and won. Took home the W. So what was that like? I mean, after all those years, it must have been nice sitting on that podium, huh? I, I tell you, what was interesting was I had an immediate flashback when people were coming up to me. Man, great job. I had two flashbacks was the same February of that year. When the air was 70 degrees, the water was 70 degrees, it was overcast, the wind was blowing, and it was drizzling rain, and myself and my ski partner at the lake, and we're the only boat at the lake. Putting in the extra work. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. What, what, what's, what, um, if you had to pick one thing, what was the biggest difference between when you landed, you kind of had a runoff at fifth and got just knocked off, and you ended up taking home number one. Uh, and a, lo- a lot of things happened in between there, but what, if you had a tribute, it doesn't have to be one thing, man, but what, what was the difference? Th- this might sound odd. I, I mean, I'm all about commitment, focus and sacrifice. Okay. But I, I would say the difference is I had a complete more, a more so complete body of work. Okay. So in 2016, I had a strong year tied for fifth at nationals again, Felt good, felt like I belonged. So that would be the thing. So in 14, I competed. No, 13, I competed. And I didn't feel like I felt, I felt like I didn't belong at the top. 2016, I put in more work and I had a more complete body of work, meaning the mental side, the physical side, the emotional side, spiritual side, you name it. And 2016, I felt like I belonged. I tied for fifth, got beat in the runoff again. And I looked around at my competitors. I was like, you know what? I'm doing enough work to hang with these guys and compete. And that was in 16. And in 19, the whole season of 2019. And then afterwards, looking back now that you say that, ask that question, I've never really thought about it is more so a complete body of work. Consistency showing up my gym time, my mental, my mental state, my mental toughness, confidence and focus. They were all there from a complete body of work. And I had a strong team supporting me, because I was asking for a lot. Um, but I, I think that would be my answer, kind of a, yeah. a complete body of work of like 
not to say I say I figured it out because that's never the case, but more of I figured out what some of those things took in different elements. It wasn't just one thing. It wasn't, I was just focusing on one thing. No, I had a more, a more complete system. Mm. Um, what do you think is the, is the kind of the, the you, you talk about consistency and like, you kind of knew what it took. Um, f- like, is there a certain level of dedication um, that you think was required and whether it's doing that or building a business or for anyone trying to do anything, is there like, well, I guess I'm trying to synthesize what's the lesson for someone listening to this that says, Hey, I mean, what you did is a fucking awesome. I mean, and so how does, how do we, how, how, how do you synthesize that down for someone that's trying to achieve something that's probably at some point to you, if, you, if someone told you you were going to be a national championship and you shouted out, you probably would have laughed. Right. Um, and said, there's no fucking way. And then here you are on the podium. Um, yeah. Yeah. I probably would have laughed and said, did everybody else get sick? You know, (laughs) (laughs) did they all get norovirus in the flight to the nationals? But okay. You know, I, I wanted to compete to synthesize it down. And and this might be kind of strong and, and I, and I love listening to Tony Robbins and, and the hip hop preacher and all these guys, but some of the best advice I got years ago was back to figure out exactly what you want. What do you want? Starting there, clarity, crystal clear. What do you want? Then breaking it down and say, what am I willing to do to get there? And then I think the third question is, what does it take? And maybe question two and three are out of order, but what does yeah, it take? Yeah, yeah. What is it? What do you need? And then sacrifice. And then read as much books like um, the Tim Ferriss Tools of the Titans. You read all those books. Yeah, and that's a great. Think about an Olympic athlete. Think about everything that that person sacrificed. Think about okay. everything that person's given up for how many years. So I want to go back to the first thing you said, though. Think about what you want. I feel like a lot of people, I mean, that's such a big thing, right? And, um, you know, I have the the fortune to know you outside of this conversation. And I know that you're super clear. Uh, we haven't even talked about the successful business that you're in the process of building outside of being a national champion that. And, and we will. But um, I think a lot of people don't know what the fuck they want. I think on a surface level, it's easy. Oh yeah. I want more money. Oh yeah. I just want to chill and not do shit and have be rich. That's not really what people want. Right. So how, how did you go about finding out? And this could be about skiing or more, we can step back and look more generally at life. Um, how did you figure that out and how should other people figure that out? You know, this is, this is going to sound crazy, Joe. It might be cliche. It might not be, but I really feel like to me, there's two, two answers to that. (laughs) And some of this in your coaching, some of this, you tease this out in the coaching and I'd already kind of hit on this, but maybe we clarified in your coaching in our coaching sessions together is hope that's okay. I said that, that you're, you know, you're my coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. Okay. Is, is really the fact of back to the purpose. Um, well back up. That's the number two. The number one that you teased out was really about having permission. Okay. What I mean is, it's our world. It's our life. Go live it. Having the permission to say, I want to quit my job at engineering firm and take a sales job so I can move to Florida, so I can water ski train, and I can build a su- successful sales career. I can do that? Hell yeah, you can do it. It's almost that, I hate to say dream big. No, dream crystal clear. What do you want? Make it up and go for it. I think permission. I think that's the biggest thing. 
And so many times, and, and my wife and I, we live the lives we want to live. And the most successful people we talk to say that a lot of the same concepts. Yeah, I, I live the life I want to live. I built what I want to do. I've done what I want to do. Versus 15 years ago when I was working in an engineering office and people were like, yep, go home at 530, feed the dog, feed the kids, watch them home improvement, call it a night. And I'm like, Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But my point was, there was never the, I want this, I want to grow this, I want to build this, I want to create. There was none of that. It was almost that permission of, hey, you can go out there, you can compete, you can fight for it. I think permission. So when you were in that nine to five, 530 consulting firm, and you say people just kind of, yeah, it's a status quo. Um, Was there a shift within you that like, you know, the word you use that I loved and I love the permission thing. One of the things you said is like, just dream it up, right? Like, so did you just someday have a dream and be like, I want to do this, 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 and this. And then you gave yourself the permission to do it. Or how did you, you know, I'm just, you're, you're not talking to me. You're talking to that person that's sitting, listening to this fucking podcast and they're in a nine to five and they know they want more. And they just don't know where the fuck to begin. So is it a shift for you? Is it something you brought on yourself? Talk more about that. I think that's valid. And actually, I love that because that that actually is how we have built Coke Consulting, how I built my ski career. Hope to have another 20 years, but my short ski career, how I built things we've succeeded at is looking to those who've done similar, who've already broken those barriers, who've always put the footsteps in the sand, who've already been there, done that. No, you don't have to follow their path, but guess what? If there's something that you want to do, somebody's already done one variation of it. If they can do it, why can't you? And, and I, I'm not a big fan of the why can't you, but my answer is you can too. Okay, your path or your journey might be a hair different. Your path or your method or your timeline might be a hair different. But if that person's built that business or won that ski tournament or, or run those buoys, you can too. Okay, I'm not going to say the five-foot person can slam dunk a basketball and all that jazz. No, but I'm saying it's that action. So to go back to your question was – and, and this is this is you're going to laugh at this, but the 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 what flipped the switch on my mindset was one is I started making a little more income and I started traveling the Florida to ski train, and then I saw I started looking at successful skiers who were training, and I'm like, you 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 come down here all the time, and they're like, yeah, all the time. I'm like, how often? And they started telling me their schedules, and I'm like, so then boom, what do I want? I said I want that. They're doing. It. I got to figure out how to do it. So I got debt free built a budget, started living that way. And I was like, I can do this. I had a coworker saying, Shelby, you're going to Florida every other weekend. And I was every other weekend in December, January, and February on a flight and a hotel and water skiing. I said, I am, I'm training. And they were dumbfounded. They're like, how do you do this? I was like, I figured out how to do it. I figured out the budget. But my point was those guys that before that had come before me, they'd done it. Hell, I got to figure out my way to do the same. And then the other side on the engineering side was, now one of your coworkers, my former boss, I met him and he kind of opened my world up to the professional side. Same kind of thing. Like meaning, hey, if you, you need to travel and go work of, of back to that, he gave me an opportunity to go into a sales job. And I was like, wait a minute, this sales role can help support my lifestyle. My lifestyle can support the sales role. And he opened my life, my eyes to the whole other world of being the next level of a professional. And I was like, wait a minute, he can succeed. And then I start meeting other successful people. They can do it. What do I want? I'm going to do it too. Yeah. 
Um, I love what you said about like, you know, it's almost like in a part of it is when you read about people that, you know, they don't know what they want or whatever. One thing you can do is travel. Right. And so it's like you get in a plane and you go to Florida and you see, this is exactly what I want. And you know, you don't need to always make it up. You just need to maybe go find it. So I think that's, that's pretty powerful. So how do you deal? How did you, do you, will you, how do you deal with the the limiting beliefs around that, right? Like that, you know, and I know you and I have talked about the saboteur and a lot of my listeners that listen to season one know all about the saboteur, but how do you deal with like, there's no, you know, that voice that there's no fucking way that you can go to Florida. Are you kidding me? Like you, you, you sit, sit back down, you know, there's no way that you're going to win the national championship in this thing. There's no way you're going to build a consulting bit. Like, you know, how do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, I think, and that's a valid question. And you and I dug into some saboteur stuff. And, and ironically was, I took the saboteur, was it the exam test or whatever? Assessment. Yep. The, the, the infamous saboteur assessment. I think a lot of my listeners would have taken that. If not, they can go to my Instagram profile and take it, but yeah. So the assessment and what's hilarious about the assessment, and this is what I was going to share with you in the next coaching session session is the top two, my top two assessment things are off the charts as assessments of saboteur. But I laugh because I think back, well, those are some of my strengths of success. I'm like how I've gotten to where, you know, that's how we've succeeded. And so I think going back to your question about the, you can't do that is, I remember, and that's where I think competitive. And for me personally, it's a little bit on the competitive nature. I went, I remember I went to get my first loan on a condo in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in 2003. And you know what, Joe, it was the same story. I knew a couple other guys had bought condos. I knew a couple other people, my age, my professional level. Okay. Had bought houses and everything. And I'm like, okay, it's possible. And I walked in this Hibernia bank and she's like, oh, you, you can't do that. And I looked at her and I, and I didn't say, I can't, I said, I'm doing this. I got it. And she looked at me and, and, and I just had this look in my face, like, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. No ifs, ands, or buts. I'm willing this to happen. And so I remember I got up out of this and I said, I didn't say I'm going to show her, but I'm going to show that this roadblock is not a roadblock. This is just an obstacle and I'm going to prove this wrong. And I'll never forget that. And I went, I remember I called a couple people. Hey, who'd you go through? Yada, yada, yada. Worked the system, got a loan, bought the condo 45 days later. My point is, I think learning from those who've won before us or succeeded before us, how do they do it? And and one of my things is almost willing it to happen. Meaning yeah. say, you know what? I'm doing this. Because if, if I don't, I'm going to probably regret it. If I don't give it my all, if I half-ass it, I'm going to regret it. I'm going to feel dirty. I'm going to feel empty if I don't give it my all and go for it. Yeah. True. Um, so now here we are. You've built this and you're in the process of building in addition to what you do. You've built this successful um, consulting business. What do you take from your days skiing um, or your, you know, what's, what are the transferable things that make you a great skier and a great business owner? I think really two big things jump out at me and we talk about it. We have a daily huddle at the, at the office. Um, one of our mantras is make things happen. Okay. So that might be something with back to kind of in the podcast and the listeners is I've watched so many guys, skiers and business people who talk a good game, but they either have no action 
or they're passive and they just say, well, when that opportunity comes versus making it happen. So in the water ski world and athletics, you've got to make it happen. You've got to schedule the gym time. You can't, you've got to make it happen. And so the same thing in the business world is, guess what? That phone's not going to ring. Guess what? They're not calling you. You have to make it happen. You have to call them. Oh, that's such and such. I put that proposal in and they're going to call me. They're not calling you. Pick up the phone two days later, know how they operate. You call them at 830, you know they're drinking coffee. Yeah, but me and get back to you. Side note, sure you are. Mm. Yeah, do it. You know, sure you have. <laughs> but meanwhile, the flip side, they go, yeah, let's do it. My point is make it happen. Make it Act. happen. Action. Um. What was the other thing I was going to ask you on that? So how do you, oh, this is what it was. So I, I, I found myself wanting to ask more and more people this, that come on the show. And um, I think people are interested in successful people's habits and like daily mm-hmm. routines. So can you talk a little bit about how, and you're a super like organized guy. Um, talk a little bit about like what your how, how you structure your days how you, and how you make sure you get the important components into every day and um, how you deal with the inevitable roadblocks a- absolutely and, and that's been a huge deal especially now in 2021 with technology and notifications and all this social media stuff it for us is we think of and, and this might be kind of strong and I'm okay with it because hey this is this makes us happy I'll be honest is we think of life of three areas of focus, mm-hmm. okay. meaning we have three areas of life. We don't do priorities. We do three areas of life in front of us, my wife and I both. And we say we have the three areas. The first area is the business, building the business, growing the business, building our team, supporting them. Second area is water skiing and competitiveness. Okay. And that's a whole nother topic. And the third business is our personal relationship, our spiritual relationship and our general mental health. If Something from the outside, whether it's a friend, acquaintance, a, a, a business person, if they're not either contributing to the growth of one of our three areas of focus or we're not contributing to that person's growth or area of focus, we're not doing it straight up. Meaning, hey, let's go hang out and have some beers and drink a bunch of beers. Just yes, pretty rare. We don't do it. Hey, Shelby, um, I've got some questions about my personal budget. Hey, can we talk about this? I'm kind of in a jam here. I'm trying to see the bigger picture. I'm like, absolutely. I'll carve out 30 minutes for you. You need an hour? I'll give you an hour. So my point is narrowing down distractions. Yeah. What's most important to you? So an example is on mine and my wife's phone, we don't do notifications. We don't do anything extra. I don't have Facebook. I don't have any of that stuff. I might read some forums here and there, and that's it because it's back to What's important to me? My wife, spiritual side, growing the business and competing as a skier. So go back to what do I want? I want a successful business in X number of years. I want to win more national championships. There's no shame in saying that. And I want to have a great relationship. So this other extra stuff, if it doesn't contribute to those three things, we say no, Hmm. straight up. So outside of the obvious, a lot of the things you just highlighted, probably the fact that you don't dwell on social media, you're very focused on all that stuff. One of the things you mentioned in that uh, the, the relationship bucket was um, supporting your own mental health. What sort of things do you do to, to, to support your mental health? Absolutely. So I, I would say, this is going to sound kind of crazy, is consistency mm-hmm. to mental health, meaning get up at 610, leave the house at 650, for the routine. So you don't have to think and you don't, have, and we also don't think about 
we don't use peak and trough words. We don't use shocked. We don't use outraged. We don't use ecstatic. Hey, we we enjoy we enjoy winning and the bigger picture meeting. So what I'm getting out on the emotion side of things, okay? So the mental health. We don't use those big emotional words, whether they're too high or too low, because we say, stay focused on the process. We come out the other side. And so go back to your day on the nationals. And I really didn't answer your question. And nationals, when I was standing there still wet, won nationals, how it felt, I had this warm, glowing feel inside my chest. That's how it felt. That's how it felt. that's how in co-consulting we've had some nice wins and that's exactly how it feels. Yeah. So it's just getting to that point. Uh, you mentioned you get up at six ten. What time do you leave your house? Six fifty. So what, what, what are your, are your mornings the same? Same every days? day. So every you day, get exactly up at six ten every single day? Every single day. And, and part of the reason why it takes the emotion out of it. It takes the, it yeah. takes, I don't want to go to work. I don't, t- it's not negotiable. The alarm goes off at six ten. Right, hey, it's going off six ten. It, you get up, the alarm goes off. You get up, you get up, the alarm goes off. You know, it's it's non negotiable. It's like desensitizing the big emotion things, and so that's where the mental health side is taking that stuff out. And I, I'll be honest, there's been days it's been five thirty five at the office, five forty five, and I'm like, eh, you know, I'm going to push through to six fifteen. And next thing you know, it's six thirty. I'm still at the office, and I'm like, son of a gun, I just missed my window to go to the gym. And the rest of the night, I'm probably battling myself, like feeling some guilty, feeling slug. I'm like, I'm a slug. I didn't go to the gym. But I'm like, maybe I should have just broke away at work at 545 right then and there and gone to the gym and did my 40 minutes of cardio or whatever, weight training, whatever. And so that's when the mental health is sticking to the schedule, sticking, sticking to, the- to the schedule. That's so true. It's so fucking true. Um, and in the last, and I already know the answer to this. In the last year, how many times have you hit snooze? In the last 12 months, oh, shit, um, I'd say maybe once. <laughs> I thought it was going to be zero. <laughs> um, <laughs> do, do you stick to the same routine on the weekends too? Um, so, so surprisingly similar, but I do catch up. I quote catch up on sleep because sometimes Saturday morning, I'll be honest, sometimes Saturday morning I'm exhausted. I'm like, hey. I need a refresh time. I need three hours. So this Saturday, for example, we had a big week. We had a new hire start. Um, we skied early in the week. We were in the gym. We had a lot of work going. And so Saturday morning, we didn't go to the lake until one o'clock. And I was okay with that. It was a little of the relationship side. It was one of those she and I both were like, you know what? Let's catch up on some little sleep. Let's have a nice breakfast at home. Let's do some laundry. Let's have a relationship time. Meaning, not relations, but you know what I mean? We're like, let's just stay here in the house. Let's just take care of what we need to take care of. And, and let's go to the lake when we're ready. And about one o'clock, we're like, okay, let's go to the lake. We'll ski. Whoever's there is there. So once a blue moon, we do that. We'll just say, you know what? Let's just stay within our four walls and let's just recover for ourselves a little bit. No distractions. So I think for someone who's hyper, hyper motivated like you are, and I think a lot of listeners are, I certainly am. Do you struggle with the guilt of like, oh my God, like I can't believe I gave myself a break. Like, are you sure I should do that? I should have been up. Like, how do you deal with that? Because I think that's that's just as important as that strict routine is, is it important? All Like, how do you step back from it sometimes and realize that you're a human being and not a machine? I think for us, and, and just like I said the other day is this week, I flat out didn't go to the gym. And I think two things are certain times we need to go back to my three areas of focus. Sometimes mm-hmm. certain have a bigger 
priority, and I don't like the right priority, but the bigger focus. So this week, again, we had a new hire starting on, so we had new HR things. That was the focus this week. I didn't go to the gym. I skipped gyms because I was at the office till 6, 30, 7 o'clock. So be it. And so that's where is one is, wait a minute, this is about the bigger picture. We're playing the bigger game in life. And that's that's one of the things, even with skiing, even with relationship, hey, this isn't about next year. This is about the long-term investment in our relationship, my wife and I on Saturday morning. It's okay as long as, again, goes back to it's contributing to the growth of the three things. Yeah, Contributing to the growth of the three things and we didn't do one or the other, it's okay because you step back and say, hang on, we're investing in a relationship on Saturday morning. Yeah. What a great way to look at it. I guess you hadn't really thought about that, but you know, if when you structure it like that, you're in fact, you are being disciplined just at it for a different focus area. So I like that. That's really cool. Yeah, and I'm, I'll be honest, I'm human. There are days where I think Sunday this Sunday afternoon, I probably was, should have gone to the gym and it was on my schedule. And I to go back to mental health, I ended up meditating at like 3.30 and that wrapped up 4, 4.15. And I was like, and we had a dinner plans, um, dinner plans at six. And I was like, eh, I'm just going to stay here. And I didn't go. And part of me now looks back and was like, that was a lost opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so- dwell on those in the past, but I go back to a little that, Hey, it sucks. That was a lost opportunity. I missed that 40 to 60 minutes. I could have gone to the gym. I could have pressed myself. I could have been better, but I'm like, damn it. Don't let that happen again. I got to will myself to go next time. Um, I didn't realize you were a meditator. So what type of meditation do you do? So the backstory is back in 13, 14, I got into yoga. Um, my wife introduced me to yoga and I don't do as much now just because of schedules. And I didn't realize at the end of yoga, the, I don't even know how you pronounce it, the last move, but. Uh, Shavasana. Exactly. Some shit, some shit like that. Yeah. Shavasana. Anyway, that's my favorite. I always joke and say, let's just do Shavasana the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, but I didn't realize that was a lot, had a lot of meditative states and properties to it. And I loved it and enjoyed it. And so since then, I haven't been going to yoga. And um, so now it's usually just a straight up starting with the belly breaths, laying on my back, dark room, just trying to almost shrink my bo- shrink away from my body. And I'm finishing a uh, book by Joe Dispenza right now called uh, something about your body. You're not your body or how to not be your body or something. And it's fantastic. And he's all about that same concept. But from the meditation for me personally is I feel the best when I literally pull inside my body and don't even feel like I can't even feel my arms anymore. I feel like I'm just this almost um, this spot of light or this little figurine inside my physical shell. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's some gnarly shit, man. When you get into meditation, like sometimes you hit it right and you just go to some fucking crazy places and it's amazing what's possible um, with our mind. It really is. Totally. And I love it. And it's, and this is, goes back to, I was wondering why. So back in August and September and October, I was pretty intense because I cracked my tibia and almost dislocated my ankle, but it was pretty bad. I was non weight bearing for eight weeks and dodge surgery and all this stuff. And, and I was in a kind of rough spot in August because I go back to my three areas of focus was I basically the skiing had a big X through it. And so I doubled up on work and, um, what I found was going back to one of your questions a minute ago was what meditation does, what the relationship does. It says a state of mind shift, a mind shift, meaning 
just like I said, at 535, I should have gotten up and left and gone to the gym mm. for my mental health because I would have broke that state of mind. And so instead of going home at seven o'clock and getting home and still being in work mode and then going having dinner with the wife at home, it's like I'm still in work mode versus breaking that state of mind with meditation, 40 minutes of cardio, going to the shooting range, going to the ski lake, medita- you know, keep hitting meditation. It's huge. It's, it's just break the mind shift. Yeah, that's a great way of saying that is breaking the mind shift. And, and it takes so often you're just in a lull, right? You feel like shit. Something doesn't feel right. And for me, it was always like, oh, I just need to work harder. If I just work harder, I'll feel better. And there is probably something to that, but that's often not the answer. And so it's for me, I find now when I don't feel right, it's like step back. Um, what is it you need? Do you need like, and I, I like how you did it. You have three focus areas. So it's really simple. Where am I neglecting? And, um, there's some times where it's like, Oh, I need to work harder. It's like, actually you need to go exercise or actually you need to, um, chill or do something. Yeah. So uh, I, I, it's right. a good, that's a break in that state of mind. And I think the first thing is becoming aware that it exists, but breaking it's a, yeah, it's a massive thing, isn't it? Totally. And then some of that goes back to a little bit kind of talking about earlier about the working in an engineering firm and these, Great people, super nice, wonderful, big-hearted people, work till 5.30, go home, and it'd be the same state of mind every single day, the same wavelengths of mind. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the same token is, hey, there's so much more out there to do. And that goes back to a little bit of the growth mindset, fixed mindset, as well as being a creator. And that's that's really, I think, some of that going back to your question of what changed in me was saying, wait a minute, I can create my own life? Really? I can't? And then tasting it, seeing others doing it, and then doing it. Putting in the work to do it. Um, if what is the? I, I know you're a big reader. What if what? What's the um, the most gifted book that you've given or received or would recommend? Man, I, I've got basically four books. I, I'm I'm chuckling because you you asked and I I came prepared for that. I was but- just I just saw you looked down. I'm like this. Yeah. That's you, man. Ready to go. Ready to go. Hey, we got to strap it on. Really and truly, I think there's, for me, there's four books that changed my life straight up. One of the books, um, our close friend and my mentor, Jeff Gerken, handed me this book in 2012, maybe 13. And after I read it, I said, son of a gun, this would have changed my previous career, my leadership skills. I was like, I would have been a different leader. Unfortunately, the book wasn't out yet. And so I didn't give myself a pass, but I was like, damn. But anyway, the book's called Turn Turn the Ship Around by David Marquette. That is probably one of the best leadership books I've ever read um, as far as a team environment, as well as a team to a, a team task lead to a project manager. And that's how co-consulting, we communicate and we operate. That's how I succeeded in my previous role. Turn the Ship Around by David Marquette. Fantastic. Is he a submarine guy? Yes, submarine. Okay, you know what's funny? Jeff's been on the podcast, and he—that's the same book he recommended. It's hilarious. So, so, maybe I'll have to read that because those are two hell of a recommendations. You know, and then the second one really is uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko. That book completely helped helped go consulting, go to the next level. That helped my ski career go to the next level. Of, you know what? I had a bad day at the lake. That boat driver was whatever. That's on me. I've got to do better. That we didn't win that contract, great. Where were we weak? Well, let's strengthen it up. It's on me. That book right there, those two books together, are, t- together are huge, man. Yeah. Did you have? Did you, I thought you said you had four. 
Oh, absolutely. Right. Keep them coming. <laughs> the other one is St- Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. Okay. Fantastic book. His other books don't resonate with me, but this book is fantastic. It's really about kind of what we're talking about, a, a breaking the state of mind and shifting your mind and really coming back. And sometimes it's okay to be still. It's okay to meditate. Back to that permission. It's okay to lay on your bed. Yeah, permission's big. It's a good just, word. Fantastic book. Stillness is the key. That book I give away um, quite often. Um, and then the fourth book is uh, he's Canadian. He's He's got ties to the water ski world, but it's somewhat of a business book, but it's not. It's called Inner, Inner Excellence and Inner Excellence. And it's got a picture of a uh, businessman walking on the tips of nails on the cover. And that book really push me, and this is, we didn't talk about this, is really purpose. And so this is a hard thing to talk about, about going back to the creator side and what we're creating our life is having a purpose. Okay. And so inner excellence book is fantastic. A lot of business stuff, a lot of personal side, but it's good because it makes you think about why am I here? What is my purpose? Yeah. That's a big deal. And that book, seriously, I read that book. And then for six months, I jotted, I scribbled on pieces of paper, my personal purpose. Six months, I would try to come up with different things and I got it down to one. And then three months later, I kept scribbling and scribbling and it ended up pinpointing at three things. And so those three things, um, I try to roll those three things to back to that area of focus of our personal side, our business side and co-consulting. Are those the, is that what you came up with? Your three, you know, your, the business skiing and, um, relationships, mental health. Yeah. Uh, so the three purposes, they're outside that I haven't really, I, I don't share them that much, but the okay, whole point. Yeah. Of, you don't have to. Yeah. But the whole point of those things are when the, when it, when the going gets tough and this goes back to your question of pushing co-consulting or the doubters or whatever is going back to the purpose. Why am I doing this again? Oh I hear on lot on the work in the world. Wow. And so in 2017 and 18, I paused water ski training cause we, we need to bring co-consulting up to the next level. So I quit water ski training. I quit tournaments 17 and 18. And a couple of people asked me, they're like, you're not skiing. I said, no, because I'm fulfilling my purpose, my three, my three purpose points through the business and through my personal relationship side. I'm still skiing, but I'm not satisfying those three purpose, uh, those three points. Wow. And it was okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I, I could keep going all day, but I know we're at about an hour. So, um, yeah, God, I have so much more to talk to you about too. I mean, yeah, I would love to dive into purpose and, um, We'll have to do another one because I think it's uh, one of the things that I would love to pick your brain about more too is, and I think for general, and this is maybe just a compliment to you, quite frankly, for people that are listening is nothing that you've described is like really super like complicated. You've just done the work, right? Like it's not super complicated to really sit down and figure out your why. It's just, you have to do it and you have to stay with it. It's not super complicated to... um, you know, figure out where you want to be and what that looks like. It's not really, you just have to do the work. And it just seems like, you know, the, if I look at you and all the things you talk about, you just continue to do the work and it just show up and do it. And over time it just gets refined and looks really cool and you become really successful. And that's, you know, for a normal, a normal people, it's like, that's a, that's a path, right? It's, it's a way to get there. I think that's really awesome. 
Absolutely. And that's where our, our one of our things is is back to that commitment of, hey, commit 51% showing up. Okay. I totally believe that 51% showing up, but the other 49% is just putting the work in. And that's where the consistency comes in. Consistency of the schedule, consistency of knowing what you want, consistency of staying on the path. I was helping a couple of guys recently and they, I got some phone calls and I said, you know what your biggest, big, biggest um, stumbling block for not succeeding on this topic is? And they're like, no, tell me what? I said, you getting distracted. They're like, what? I said, you getting distracted. I said, we've laid this stuff out there. I was like, I didn't invent any of this stuff. All this stuff is out there. We've distilled the information. We've identified your personal saboteurs. We've identified your plan for the next 90 days. We've gotten some tools in place. I said, you just got to do the work, man. I was like, you just getting distracted and reading another book or not staying disciplined to just show up and do the work. That's your biggest issue is not the work itself, the distraction. The distraction. I love it, man. Hey, if people are interested in reaching out to you to talk, learn more, how do they do that? Absolutely. Check out coconsultingllc.com. On our website is my email address, and I think my phone number is even on there, but uh, email me. I'm always open to talking and helping people or uh, giving some direction or saying, hey, I think you could do something better. I'm always open to that because I'm going back to back to that standpoint from fixed mindset, growth mindset, criticism, and feedback loop. That's what yeah. we're about. Cool, man. Well, thanks for joining the show. It's been great having you on. 